Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are at the beginning of the MCU, and we're getting close to the end of the first film. We're looking at John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And uh, joining us this week, we have Niall McGowan from The Bat Minute. Welcome. Woo-hoo. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I was shocked there when you said, like, oh, we're near the end. I was like, near the end of the MCU already? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Like, I don't think I don't think you guys are going to live long enough to get to the end of all these movies. It'll be in our wills. We'll bequeath the series to the children and the, the children's children so they can all continue. <laughs> Generations hence. <laughs> I, I have to say, it's about time that you're on the show, Niall, because I, I feel like we can't really do this show justice until we have a movie-by-minute podcaster on who also talks about a wealthy industrialist wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, that is true, yeah. And actually, in considering like the, um, what we're going to be covering next year, because we're currently mid Batman Returns, like the opening shots of this minute are just like this is ripped off from Batman Forever. Like it's like the <laughs> like directly like in particular fact, considering John Favreau is in Batman Forever, it's like oh that's where you got it from. Right, there's Fav. a love like, story in here somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we we are looking, uh, like we said, it's it's toward the end of this film. We're looking at minute 111 of Iron Man. On today's show, the minute starts with Tony calling out for Pepper very quietly. And it ends with Obi saying he's never had a taste for this sort of thing. We are mid-hide-and-seek game uh, up on the roof between Tony and Obi in their suits of iron. And uh, yeah, this is this uh, little phone call. Uh, It's funny because, so Tony calls out to Pepper here. And I guess they've been on the phone the whole time. It's kind of a confusing thing because he called her as uh, she ran out of the building earlier before the ironmonger uh, burst out of the parking lot. And then they got into the, uh, the big iron fisticuffs across the, uh, the, across the freeway and up into the air. And now they're on the roof. But I, I guess he's been connected to Pepper the whole time because he just calls out her name and she's there listening so has she been listening to the whole fight and everything well, this is this is the beginning of a thing that like it's it's one of those things i've had to just learn to accept in all the marvel movies where at least you see that uh pepper has like a little bluetooth like headphone thing in right but i remember at one point like mid avengers and stuff they're just walking around nothing visible in their ears but just going like tony uh, you have to go here and it's just like <laughs> How are they talking to him? Like, what, did I have to press a button? Did I have to do anything? There's just at some point in the like in the Marvel movies, it's just you just have to accept that yes, somehow they have technology on them at all times, all times that they are yeah. constantly able to just talk to whoever they want, who might be anywhere, just through some high tech gimmickry where you don't literally you don't even have to like tap a thing to go. Or put they used to have to put their hands to their ears. I don't think they even do that anymore. Well, it's like it's like Tony has invented his own stark version of Siri, and so he doesn't even need to say, "Hey, blank." I don't want to say her name because she's sitting right next to me, and she'll start talking to me. But um, you know, but now he can just say Pepper, and that's that's his system's cue to kind of get her on the line. It's, I, I mean, I guess that is what he's done. It, might make sense. I mean, there's going to be a pain in the ass if he's at the dinner, though, and he's just like, oh, it's, hey, can you pass me the pepper? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't mean this. Uh, yeah, it's, she's just waiting the whole time. She's always there. She's still, as far as we gather, standing in the parking lot. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> She's been standing I mean, in the same spot for minutes now. As we talk about it, for it seems like a month. She's been just standing in the parking lot <laughs> waiting for action. I mean, I've got questions about the location of Pepper Potts towards the end of this week, where it seems like she vanishes for where she was and then kind of reappears or something. But we'll get to that in later. Yeah, right, right. Later right. Well, and I still think it's funny that she's standing in the parking lot. There's been this fight raging on. Nobody else from Stark Industries, especially the guy sitting in the parking booth, just a, just a, you know, a few <laughs> feet from Pepper. Still there. Has not come out to do anything. He's, he's playing Sudoku, man. He is. He's very into his game. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's going to be the same guy who's in like the... The Avengers, when he's just like, that guy over there is playing Galaga. He hoped we didn't notice him, but we did. <laughs> and, and he was playing Galaga. Yeah, that's totally that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I'm, I'm focused. He's, he's, you know, <laughs> it's, kudos to him. He's, he's got his uh, center and he's found his focus and he's good at closing off the outside world. I, I don't know if that works when you're a security guard. We should all be so lucky. <laughs> right. I do have to ask, though, because you, you would be the guys who, who would know has Favreau ever like acknowledged this little face mask thing that the the visualization of Tony in the helmet as being from Batman Forever? Because I'm sure you've talked about that before. Like it's directly the thing when Bruce Wayne slides down his chair and then he's talking to Alfred and it's an identical kind of layout and stuff. I haven't because I I I feel like I've generally closed my mind to some of those earlier Batman films, and I don't remember okay. that at all in that film. That's in Batman Forever, huh? It's very early on, yeah. It's when um, it's just after he meets Edward Nigma and he sees the bat signal and he goes into his office and he just like he sl- like the a little sort of hatch on- opens underneath his desk and he slides down. He goes into some sort of like bat bullet thing that zooms him across the city. Right, the, the, the luge thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a close up of Val Kilmer's face, and then. Just a, a, identical to this. Like when then a little screen of Alfred pops up and he's just talking to him like Tony talks to, you know, Pepper or anybody in these movies. And it's just the fact that like, yeah, John Favreau directed this. He's in he's in the scene before that scene happens in Batman Forever. <laughs> so it's, it strikes me that he would have been trying to think of like, how do I visualize this? Oh, I'll just do what they did in, in that. That's really interesting. It's either that or he was really into the, the video for No Surprises by Radiohead. He's like, I just, I really want to get that in there somewhere. I don't know. That's Some... equally believable, actually. <laughs> I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm looking for images. Do you have a still of it? I'd like to see it. I can't seem to find it on uh, yeah. the internet. is failing me right them. now. Yeah, I'd love to check that out, too. We'll have to post it uh, uh, in the show notes so people can yeah. kind of compare. But it's an interesting lineage. And even the article that we read about the creation of the HUD and, and everything that they've kind of uh, done to kind of create it, Nothing uh, references Batman Forever. They they reference uh, 2001 as a source. They reference Minority Report, all these different kind of more modern sources. Well, uh, the, the more modern source with Minority Report as far as the information sliding around. And 2001, just as far as kind of the all of the, the stuff kind of reflecting around his face and his helmet. Those are kind of the reference points <laughs> they talked about. But it, knowing that Favreau was in Batman Forever, I think, that does seem like a logical pull as something that he likely probably um, pointed them to at one point just to use as a reference. So pretty interesting. Mm. I'll tell you, I've, got, I've got a shot here. I'll send it um, 
I'll send it to Andy here on the, the old Facebook, if you don't mind. Sure. And I do think it's, uh, as, as we're, as we're watching, waiting for that, um, I, I want to know, what do you guys think? Do you think that, uh, we have a shot of, of Tony starting this minute and then it cuts to Pepper and then we cut back to Tony and his, he's now facing the other direction. Does it look to you like they just flipped his face? Like, I swear it's just like, you know, they just took the footage and flipped it. Oh yeah. That's like, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the easy way it's the easy yeah way you, the that. the he's got like um well there's there's like there's a blemish uh like a little like a zit <laughs> under his uh under the left side uh eye uh in the first shot and it, it really moves it's on the right side yes they totally flipped it yeah uh, yeah why would they need to do that like what is the motivation behind that do we really need him looking off into the distance you know frame right in that second scene does that make a dramatic difference to us i think the my hunch as to why they did it is because in the rule of of cinema as you have um as you have your actors and you have uh, kind of the people cutting between people it makes sense when more sense in a conversation when they you're not crossing the line and so tony right. initially is looking um he's looking screen right and Pepper, when we cut to her, she turns her head and she's looking screen right. And so I think because of that, it makes it easier for us as an audience to kind of look at it like a conversation when we see his face and her face intercut where they're not necessarily looking the same direction. I was thinking about that, but I was wondering if that, you know, if that really holds true when we're looking at this, you know, it's such a manipulated image, like with the HUD up on top of it, they're not in the same location, you know, does does it play as as poorly? I, I almost want to just flip that first one and see if it makes a huge difference, because it doesn't to me. Well, I also think like at the end of the last minute, Iron Man, you know, he's he's looking, he's we see him up on the roof, he's peeking around the corner and he sees uh, uh, the Ironmonger kind of prowling around and he kind of moves his face when we cut to tony's face it's the same direction as the iron man suit that mm -hmm. we saw in the last frame kind of mm -hmm. looking screen right now at later when we are looking at tony and we cut back to iron man which is about uh second 15 now they're both looking screen left and so i think that's yeah. another reason that they did it just to kind of connect that a little better yeah it's been so long since i've watched that last minute it's hard hard to remember what do you, what do you guys think of um of a uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in in general though? Because I don't know, maybe it's just the way that she's um portrayed in the UK. Uh, but there's sort of like a kind of general dismissal of her as a kind of a lot of like just through tabloids and stuff. There's a kind of vibe about Gwyneth Paltrow where it's just like ah, like whenever she pops up in conversation. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not too sure exactly what it is because she seems simultaneously seems to be like like a very very boring person and also a complete weirdo. <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm always sort of like um, I'm always curious as to why she became so popular because she was really big. I'm assuming it's because she was engaged to Brad Pitt and stuff. But and I go, of course, then she's you know the friggin' daughter of Blythe Danner and stuff. Well, yeah, and I mean she, I mean obviously she was in some. Uh, bigger projects in the 90s when she won an Oscar for and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, she certainly had a, a I would say, a peak back then. And I think, mm. uh, I feel like, and I don't know if this is completely correct, but I feel like you know, everything that's gone on with her as far as, you know, her relationship with, what's his name from Coldplay, 
and oh, Chris Martin, yeah, yeah. And Chris Martin. the you know little the kids and just all the stuff that she's done because she's I feel like in the last decade she largely has kind of stepped away from film like she was real busy in the 90s in the 2000s and then once kind of iron man hit she's only been in as i look at her imdb credits she's only been in one two three four five movies that have not been um in the marvel in the marvel films so i think kind of she's uh you know uh, maybe that's why because it you know to a certain extent it's become less about her as an actress and more about just kind of you know just the stuff that she's doing outside of of film maybe well and yeah so unless we forget she built a 250 million dollar company like goop is is a serious business for her and you can kind of see where that has gone whatever you think of her like her approach to health and wellness is you know uh ranges is on the daffy scale at at times i think that's yeah i mean that's she doesn't get a lot of serious praise in the media uh as a result of some of that and the lawsuits that have been a part of it but um but in this movie i you know i actually think she's i think she's great as pepper i really enjoy her as pepper i really don't like her as pepper in these last few minutes i i you know it, it is a running joke for us that oh pepper's in the parking lot um because it's ridiculous that pepper's in the parking lot right she is yeah. the <laughs> like she's the thing that we just have to keep her in the park we're literally putting pepper in the parking lot so that we can use her for these these very few uh, uh like magical um events that we need she she loses complete agency um you know in the character and becomes this like um sort of doyleist tool um to allow magic to happen in the screenplay and that's that's a thing that frustrates me because i think she she has been great for so long yeah yeah I did feel a bit bad though, and um, when they announced that, like, oh, Endgame will be the the last we see of her as Pepper Potts, and it's like the kind of world kind of went, oh no, oh, sweet stuff, come back, <laughs> <laughs> don't go, no, 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 really, don't go. Uh, I I I do I mean, love her as Pepper, and I I think it. A lot of it is just I feel like she and and Robert have found just a really great chemistry and they work well together. And it, it really kind of was founded here in this film. I, I just love their chemistry and I love their relationship. And yeah, I mean, she largely hasn't been in these films except when it is involving Iron Man and that. And so I, I really appreciate that. And I think it's nice to see her doing that, even if, you know, she's kind of fallen into, into kind of the the. Um, the daffy goop world um and and that's been affected otherwise the thing is like i actually do like her in these movies as well i don't want to come off like i'm coming in to dump on pepper Potts or anything uh but i do just know her around uh around these parts Uh, there's a kind of vibe about any time every time she's mentioned in the like the papers and stuff there's a bit of a kind of an eye roll yeah in in, implied in the writing because it's like oh yes the uh you know the the what, what do they call it um consciously uncoupling and all that business like these weird yeah. terminology she'll come out with and yeah uh, the fact that she called her kid apple and things <laughs> like that so like you know i'm all up for you know coming out with unique names for your kids and stuff but like calling your kid apples it's like well the thing is you would be like i think again that might be all, another reason why people wouldn't like her is that in the, any normal circumstances that's setting that kid up to get like bullied for life basically but, <laughs> right, like, right. Like a, but then the thing is 
that kid won't be going to like a normal school. He'd be going to like super rich, like friggin' like <laughs> proper big private education. Well, you know, it, it, to her credit, as as Daffy is, I think sometimes she comes off in the media. There recently, I think it was March, uh, earlier March, um, she sat down on Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard and did a two-hour uh, conversation about, you know, everything from all of this stuff, conscious uncoupling, intentional parenting, all of this kind of stuff. And you know what? She actually, you listen to her in that kind of an environment, and um, she takes an interesting sort of ownership uh, and comes off with, I, I think, a much more redeeming strength when you when you hear her talk about it, when it's not filtered through uh, the, the media, you know? I mean, it's, it, it, it's just, it's easier to understand why she's grounded in this uh, kind of worldview when she's telling it herself. I may not necessarily agree with it, but um, I, I, I do think it's it's good to hear from her. And that episode, it was episode 88, I think was a particularly good conversation. So uh, if anybody's interested, that's that's a good place to go. Well, that's the kind of thing, though, um, because you do get it, yeah, like put through the, uh, the, the visor of, you know, the tabloid media. So like, I remember things like when she broke up with uh, Chris Martin there was words out in the press that like oh yeah apparently all Chris Martin's friends are saying oh thank god thank god he finally got away from that woman and stuff and it gave her this bad reputation but literally it was like totally. completely unsourced information it was just like yeah, right. one of our right. one of our insiders tells us that a friend of Chris Martin has said this it's like who like what I'm supposed to take that <laughs> it's like oh right, that's right. definitely happened then and she talks all about that uh, and that whole experience uh, on this episode. It's really interesting to hear kind of her approach. So um, it's worth it if you're curious. Meanwhile, back at the arc reactor. Yeah, meanwhile, back <laughs> at the arc reactor. So so Tony has Pepper uh, go inside. He he kind of does an exposition dump here to just kind of give her all of the specifics of things that she has to do and hence all the things that the audience is coming to expect now about having to overload the reactor and blast the roof and make sure it's clear or I'll get fried and all this sort of stuff. It's very much exposition dumping. Yeah. And then and then Pepper sets to work. And what I think there's a there's an interesting um moment here because Pepper starts going inside and as she starts walking in it's set, it, you see all of the glass from the the glass entrance to this big arc reactor room it has all been shattered and at no point do we ever see this happen stain didn't shoot it when he's trying to shoot her and shoots iron man instead and their whole fight nothing we see nothing that shows anything about this getting shattered in fact when we see um there's a shot a, a wide shot as as ironmonger and iron man f- take off for the first time and chase each other in the sky it's a wide shot of the front of this as we see pepper see ironmonger fly up and it's all still intact so at no point do do we ever see this shattered until this moment when all of a sudden it's all shattered? Is it a deleted, like a deleted scene? Or? There's no deleted scene that they show us, but there is in the script. And this is the only thing that I've been able to find that references this in some way is the fact that when Tony comes flying down and and crashes into Ironmonger and pushes him back down into the kind of the hole in the ground that's the the only reference there that uh that the it, it says the atrium glass ruptures outward from the underground impact and that's it but but even later we've see in the film when pepper's watching them take off that it's still intact so it's it's weirdly 
done thing where all of a sudden, I guess it's just because now they're on the roof fighting and supposedly that's what did it. I don't know. I guess maybe in context of, of Ironmonger when he's shooting at Tony um, in the last, uh, last week's minutes up on the roof that perhaps that caused it all to break. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a strange thing. It's very yeah, strange. Yeah. I don't know how it would break like that. I mean, there's so much glass and all the shards are so uniformly tiny. I, yeah. I just, I don't know how it does that. There must, there's, you know, science, I guess. And I spoke too soon. He hadn't started shooting at Tony. That'll be later this week. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's no reason why this glass is all broken. Like, yeah, it's completely shattered. But it is funny to watch Pepper kind of... uh stepping daintily through it to go inside and start flipping switches and all this sort of stuff, which she In does. her open-toed, ridiculous heels. Yeah, which is yeah. great. <laughs> then we get to the, the the stuff that's frustrating for me. Before we do, I just have to point out, so, so Pepper is flipping all these big switches, right? Unless this is what frustrates you, but she starts flipping these switches, right? These great big panels of switches. Mm-hmm. And and he uh, he says that uh, he's got to open up all the circuits. But when she flips this, it already says open. And when she pulls the switch, it switches to closed. <laughs> so technically, I think she's working backwards as to what she's supposed to be doing. <laughs> Luckily, the cut is so fast that you only notice it if you're freeze framing it and watching it one minute at a time. Right. Uh, for some reason, this, this just reminds me, um, because of the type of switch and stuff that she's She's having to pull down of that bit in um, Jurassic Park when Laura Dern has to go and she's yep. having to do yes. a whole thing like the same kind of switches and stuff as well. And just right. maybe there's something amongst like directors who are like, "Oh, those type of switches look cool. Get the get those in your get high those, tense situations right. if you can. If you have to flip on a switch, make sure it's one of those things. And make sure to get all of the switches. I want <laughs> fifteen of them on this wall. Well, I don't care. More switches." Well, and Favreau has certainly um, shown us in past minutes how much he likes doing homages. You know, we've had the Star Wars wipes and other Star Wars uh, kind of shots, and we've had references to Alien. It's entirely possible that he kind of threw these in because of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh so that's the switches and then is this the is the fight what you wanted to uh, oh, uh talk about Pete is that what frustrates oh, you? Andy. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's it's frustrating. We get all the switching. Then Iron Man jumps up on his back, on Ironmonger's back, right? I this part, this this cut when he says uh, Iron Man says this looks important and reaches into the back of uh, Ironmonger's neck and pulls out this giant tail of cables and turns off Ironmonger's eyes and targeting system. That is incredibly annoying for me because, well, for two reasons. First of all, it, it's like they snatch stupid from the jaws of smart. It makes so much more sense that Tony has the experience and intelligence in building these systems that it would allow him to find the right wires without having this indicated on the HUD, which says weak point located. The HUD's already broken. I, that makes no sense to me. And even dumber, why did Stain and his engineers build a suit that allows these wires to be found by uh, just any schmo who happens to be taller than him and yank them out. I, I find that uh, they should be, I don't know, protected somehow, I mean, maybe I hidden. Mean, there is that, um, I know they did make that 
prequel movie where it turns out that Mad Mikkel- Mads Mikkelsen was working on the Ironmonger suit. And he intentionally put in that weakness. As a, there was a whole big <laughs> thing. And there's people going to war over it and stuff. It was, and then for some reason he showed up in Doctor Strange and he's like a different character. And like, what the hell? It's totally different. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair point. I'll reach. I'll reach. <laughs> Still, I find myself uh, frustrated at the sequence. Uh, you know, I totally... It works for me. It's I knew it would. It's Tony. It's Tony being <laughs> techie. It's it's uh, Obadiah and his team rushing through things to get things put together and not worrying so much about this sort of thing because he's really just wanted to get it done and and play mm. with it. I mean, I, I will say, um, yeah, I, I'd actually I'd agree with that hundred percent because everything about the Ironmonger suit, uh, I have a. A, a, a disdain, a disdain for its a uh, for its <laughs> well design, <laughs> because it's it is just like if you were going around this thing, this is supposed to be like oh yes, bigger and better and all this, but it just looks like this big clunky mess. Um, so I I do think that yeah, it is like it's a rushed, it's a rushed job. So things like that would be. Uh, and well, again, yeah. you've got, you've got a, a scientists working on it who just aren't they aren't Tony Stark like they yeah you know they they haven't got the the this anywhere near the level like they could design get the, the thing to work properly but they mightn't think of like oh yeah we should probably you know do this and that for it as well right. because they're just not right. quite they're not up to scratch they're not on his level. Yeah, right. and, and you can tell. I mean, once you see that, you reminded so many of the critical components for the Ironmonger suit are external, right? All the hydraulics, all the all the everything looks like a weak point. Like every joint is a weak point. How is he able to uh, to move? And why did it t- in that case? Why did it take Tony so long to find it? <laughs> it just feels <laughs> like that should have been uh, easier to disable. So I don't know. It's this is one of those things that it does remind me. Just the this harking back to that scene that has like. The one big line in Iron Man that I, I that I do quote, it's like one line I remember is just the you know Tony Stark built this in a crave with a box <laughs> of scraps. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the one line that sticks out to me in the whole movie for some reason. Totally. <laughs> you know, to, uh, to your point, Pete. Um, though, as, as far as this little moment when Tony jumps on his back and starts kind of uh, trying to find ways to. Uh, to uh, you know, make the the playing field a little more even. I guess you could say this is the scrappy do moment. I think is what we're referring going to refer to it as. Well, it's sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, David and Goliath. I guess you could say, but scrappy do works. The thing that I find funny that I question, and I, I don't know if I have as many problems with it because, again, largely when you're watching the film and not studying it minute at a time, it just plays really nicely. But I do wonder, okay, so Gwyneth is downstairs, Pepper is downstairs doing all of these uh, switch flipping that we've seen right. and button pushing. And, and, and Tony says, I'm going to buy you some time. But what is he... Obadiah doesn't know that Pepper's doing anything downstairs. So what is he like? Why doesn't he just keep hiding and let Pepper finish pushing all these buttons? Why does he have to all of a sudden jump in? And it's the hero moment. We've got to kind of do this. But really, he's not buying time for anything. I mean, all really to buy time. He just kind of keeps hiding. I don't know. I that's that's the thing for me. I'm like, I don't know what he's buying time for her to do by right by is there some attacking. assumption that he that he believes stain knows she's right below him doing things that are of ill intent yeah and they they didn't telegraph that at all i mean he has to keep uh obadiah on the roof i guess that's right it but again he could still do that just by kind of hiding up there i, mm. I don't know i do also think um 
the, just that line though, like I'll buy you some time. Like that adds to tension as well in the sure. whole. It kind mm-hmm. of it really makes you feel like on your on your toes. It was the same thing of him just hiding around and stuff. It, right. And, uh, it, it you know, this just like tips it into like keeping it you know at, at peak excitement. Um, I know we'll be talking in a couple of minutes' time about a a deleted sequence that uh, you know not to spoil what I'm going to say in that episode. <laughs> but the, a sequence that like would have completely evaporated the levels of excitement in like a, a very big moment. Uh, right, so right. I think yeah, so at, this, at this point, it's everything's sort of um, just designed to keep this thing as sort of light and you know peaked in terms of um, intensity as 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 they can. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, right. we're in the climax. You want the you want the hero and villain fighting, not playing hide and seek. You want a lot of fast things happening. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. It really does. And they've already done a great job of changing our our sort of sensibility of that sequence, right? As we open this minute with all of the smoke, and they've they have just enough of the sneaking around, and and a couple of those little kind of horror thriller shots that that I think we get enough of it. Now we're ready to move on to some faster paced, surprising action, and it's good. Yeah, we do. Uh, as we get to, uh, toward the uh, end of this minute, we cut back to Pepper, and we see her pushing buttons for the line relays. And then we see her uh, flipping some other switches. Uh, these are ECCD one through four. What I, I found online, some abbreviations to see if there was any real ECCD that this could be. And the only ones that made sense as far as this particular world were either electron cyclotron current drive or electromagnetically coupled coaxial dipole. Who knows if the production design team actually was using one of those or if they were just putting some letters in there to make it look important. Wow. Regardless, what I do actually like about all of this is Tony gave Pepper some fairly vague instructions. You know, just, you know, we need to overload the reactor and blast the roof. What it seems is that Pepper is actually, like, pretty smart. Like, she goes in and she knows the switches to flip, the buttons to push, the dials to turn. I feel like Pepper is actually portrayed here as somebody who actually has the the smarts in this company to actually understand what she's doing in order to uh, to to overload this system. I I end up as I watch this and kind of look at what she's doing. I, I end up finding myself appreciating uh, what they did with her here. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Like it's um, it it's it. it Paints in her light where it's, you know, she comes across like she's not just like Tony's secretary or something. Like she's, right. she could, if need be, step into like a major leading. Well, she does step into a major leading part of the star company and stuff. Um, and so, the, yeah, portraying her in that light of like, oh, she's, you know, incredibly intelligent and stuff as well. She clearly has, you know, a, a, an understanding of, you know, the, the things that she's working with, like in and around, she kind of has a an idea of what's going on around her as well. So it's not she's not just there to tick boxes and um, you know just take friggin' coffee orders or things like that. Like she's a proper <laughs> like a you know a, a, a woman who could you know she's on the way up. Was she portrayed this way in uh, you know with this level of savvy in the comics? No, but it was a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very different time, um, and and she ends up just because of the nature of of the story i mean she falls in love with happy and they kind of go off and start a family at some point because their lives have been threatened too often by mm-hmm. being around the the world of iron man where they've been put in harm's way 
and they leave it. So um, I don't recall. And if they have, I mean, obviously the the stories continued over a long time. It's entirely possible they've done more with Pepper, and I just haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we, we uh, kind of finished watching Pepper. We go back up to the roof and we see uh, we see Obadiah free himself of the little uh, the little creature on his back. He grabs he grabs Iron Man by the head and flings him across. And we have Tony landing uh, square in the middle of the big kind of uh, the circular um, the glass roof overlooking the arc reactor. And he's on the glass panel staring straight down into it. And uh, and he's helmetless. So so clearly, uh, in the process of doing this, Obadiah has managed to rip his helmet off in a way that I don't think it's meant to come off. Um, and Tony's head is intact. I'm a little surprised that it worked out so well for Tony. <laughs> Tony and, and his chin, which should have peeled up over his face. Let's just get that out of the way. Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm not quite sure of that, but it, it does kind of fall into, I guess we, uh, is it Spider-Man that started this trope of like the superhero unmasking in the kind of the climactic battle? Or do you it's guys a, recall that happening before the Spider-Man films? I think, yeah, but that was the one. Cause I don't know if it was done. I guess Batman. You, you should, yeah, yeah. I mean, Batman was it. I mean, in Batman Returns, he does take off the mask. But that's when he's talking to um, Selena and stuff. It's kind of after he's defeated the Penguin and stuff already. So it kind of conveniently like rips off, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like he has the, the disappearing eye makeup as well. This is one of the most glaring continuity <laughs> ever in the whole movie. And, uh, and I don't know how much you would count like the uh, the superhero unmasking as Clark Kent takes off his glasses, you know, in <laughs> Superman 2, right? That's, mm. <laughs> but it's very, I think around the time of Spider-Man, it became very apparent that this is like, no, the star of the movie wants FaceTime. Yeah, like, exactly. So that's why, like, I think in the first one, I didn't mind it because it's like, oh, yeah, his mask is like all torn up and stuff. And then the second right. one's like, he's taking off the mask again? What's going on here? And then the third <laughs> one, the same deal. It's like, oh, I get it. I see what's happened here. And then by the time, like, I remember one of the first clips I saw of, like, the Andrew Garfield movie had him as Spider-Man, then just taking his mask off in front of some kid to be like, oh, no, don't worry. I'm going to save you. And just but instantly, like, oh, for Christ's sake, dude, just keep that mask off for six damn seconds with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of it is, and and I think the HUD has actually helped a lot with the Iron Man films because you can show Tony's face while he's still in his suit without just having to have you know us looking at Iron Man the whole time. And I think for actors, that's something that they certainly appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Well, and not just that. I mean, in this scene, we need to have a face-to-face showdown between yes. Bridges and RDJ. Like, we, we need to see that. And uh, so they had to to take the helmet off. They had to open the clamshell on Ironmonger. I mean, we, we had to have that. As an audience, not just in contracts, you know? I mean, we, we have to see it. Yeah. yeah. And it is so great watching Ironmonger kind of open up like that. So yeah, mm. that reveal of him is just, it's really cool <laughs> to see him in there. And I mean, you know, he's in full on villain mode now. So of course it, it you know, it, it plays, it, it plays a little, uh, a little uh, strongly, but it's okay because it works in context mm. of the villain. It reminds me a lot of um, an Independence Day when they like open up the alien bodysuit and then when it's talking to like, Bill Paxton after it's killed friggin' Brent Spiner and stuff. Or no, he's not dead, it turns out in the second one. But um you remember that there's a little thing inside this big open suit that it's wearing. And just yeah, right. Jeff Bridges right, is sitting right. there in the center of the thing, just like, oh, it really reminds me of that alien outfit they, they had <laughs> That's <now."> right. <laughs> And what I do love about this is, uh, you know, they had built, Stan Winston's team, they had built this 
full, you know, 10-foot suit that I can't remember. It was like five different people operating it. Now, I, I don't know if all of this is that suit or if they've done some CG enhancements, but it looks like at least a good chunk of it is the actual suit and, you know, the work that they're doing to operate it. It just, it's really cool looking. I only had one other note for this uh, for this moment, and it's the music track by Ramin Jawadi that's playing here. It's named Arc Reactor, and it's Reactor with a K instead of a C, just proving oh. yet again that it's not just the screenwriters who don't know how to spell these words. It's also the composer. <laughs> like, sometimes it's Arc A-R-K. Sometimes it's Arc A-R-C. Now we have Reactor with a K. It's I swear, they're all over the place. I'm glad it's never written in the film because it would probably be different every time. Uh, I mean, it could be um, like when you see the, uh, the the sky beam that erupts later in the week. Um, that's you know very reminiscent of uh, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So maybe they would try to be clever <laughs> uh, and be like, "That's Ark Reactor" because of this one scene. It is. It is the power of God. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'd never seen it before. <laughs> Um, I don't have anything else for this minute. What about you guys? This is a, this this whole week is a week of cliffhanger minutes. Like <laughs> I want to know what the end of the the next thing that happens is. He's got his helmet. Uh, Ironmonger has Iron Man's helmet in his hand. What could possibly happen next? Yeah, it's a very Shakespearean uh, moment we're leaving here. Truly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, well, Niall, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm always happy to the bridge the gap between the DC and the Marvel world. So, <laughs> right. Like, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, do you remind everybody where they can find you online? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can get Bat Minutes, uh, where we're doing what you guys are doing only with uh, the Batman movies, uh, starting with Tim Burton's 89 Batman movie up to and including uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, we're not... We're, don't think we're going to do the Dark Knight trilogy um, because there's someone already doing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can get that show um, on all your normal podcatchers and iTunes and Spotify now, I believe. And, uh, yeah, you can get us on Twitter, um, Facebook and all that stuff. Just if you just type in Batman, it will pop up. And I do know our one distinction is on Instagram. We are the Batman. Uh, so uh, I think that's I think that's about as good a plug as I can do because I'm terrible at doing <laughs> plugs. <laughs> well, I think people can probably uh, look up that minute and they will be able to track you down. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers, 